Evening. How y'all doing? All right, great. Um, we're going to be in Malachi tonight, but I'd ask you to turn to First John to start with. Uh, we're going to talk about fellowship. We pretty much have to start in First John. And plus, I like to begin messages with the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ. So let's look at First John. Chapter 1 and verse 1. That which, we, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, which we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. The life was manifested, and we have seen and bear witness and declare to you that eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard we declare to you, that you may also have fellowship with us. And truly, our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, that your joy may be full. Just pray again. Abba, Lord, we come to you because uh, we desire life. And we know that that life will only come through your Son. And Lord, we desire that you would exalt him tonight. Lord, that we would see Jesus. We would see him high and lifted up. And through knowing him, that we would go to him. Because if he is lifted up, he will draw all men unto himself. Lord, those that have been uh, cold in their hearts, those that are locked in sin, those that are broken and hurting, Lord, I pray that you would work in them through the glory of your Son, the one who has loved us unto death, the one who is worthy of our worship, the one who has bought us, that we are his because he is our Lord and the one that is coming again for us. Father, I pray that through the declaration of your Son, we would have fellowship. That we would be united through Him, in Him, because of what He has done. In Jesus' name, Amen. Okay, so uh, John here is speaking. He, he begins with this uh, neat statement that he begins his gospel with. Uh, that which is from the beginning. Okay, we know our Lord Jesus Christ is uncreated, right? He has no beginning and no end. He is from everlasting to everlasting. But he uh, became a man. It says, that which is from the beginning we have heard, and we have seen with our eyes, and we have looked upon, and our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Our Lord Jesus Christ is life. And through him we know life. And John here is saying, uh, the apostles had seen Christ. They had touched him. They had handled him. And through Christ's ministry, they now had fellowship or they had likeness, commonality with the Father. And he's writing these words so that his hearers could have like fellowship that he had. With the Father and with the Son. And not only would they have fellowship and unity and sharing together in the purposes of God, but they would also have great joy. 
in hearing about our Lord Jesus Christ. We, uh, we just communicate to one another in fellowship. We share that which is most precious to us, right? That one which is most valuable to us, most beautiful, most glorious, most true. He is the one that we share uh, whatever background you come from. Whatever differences we have, we are united in Christ. And we get to experience fellowship. I say fellowship, I don't mean barbecue. Okay, I don't mean uh, picnic. Um, I don't mean, uh, you know, another meeting where we kind of hang out and have, have fun. Which is good. I'm not opposed to that. (laughs) But I mean uh, this sharing, this unity, this commonality that we all have through our Lord Jesus Christ. And how that contributes to our experiencing um, our life in Him. We're going to see this in the book of Malachi. Somewhat of an unlikely place. So if you can turn over to Malachi. Malachi, and I'd like to begin in chapter 3. If you know about the, Mil- the book of Malachi, you know that uh, it's written around the time towards the end of the book of Nehemiah. We know that the Jews there, uh, Judah, was because of their idolatry, right? The Babylonians came and conquered them, right? And they were brought into captivity. And then the Lord, uh, in His gracious purposes, brought them back into the land. And they got another opportunity to worship Him, to honor Him, to serve Him in a way that would uh, be proper and pleasing to, to Him. But we know uh, from this book and from the end of Nehemiah, uh, it didn't go too well. Um, here in Malachi, the prophet comes as that Old Testament lawyer. He comes as the representative of the covenant to say, People, you have made a covenant. You have promised to follow your Lord. You are promised to love Him with all of your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, are you doing that? And the answer is no. Okay? But we don't only see this group of people that Malachi is going to and bringing this message of rebuke. But we see this people... In chapter 3, if you look at chapter 3 in verse 16, it says, And then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another, and the Lord listened and heard them. And so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. On that day I will make them my jewels, and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then again, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So in the midst of uh, a people of Judah who are pursuing God with a kind of form of religion, but without the, the heart reality of it, There is this remnant, there is this group who are speaking to one another, which begs the question, what are they saying? 
<laughs> it seems pretty good, right? Because the Lord is really excited about that, right? He's writing this book of remembrance. They are his jewels. He says, they are mine. What are they saying to one another? Spent a lot of time thinking about this. And I think they are speaking to one another in repentance and sorrow and brokenness. Because out of that larger group of people who are following the Lord, but have lost their zeal, have lost the heart reality of it, there would be those that would hear the preaching of the prophet Malachi and then turn back to the Lord in fullness and experience revival. And that's what we want. right? That's what we want. So how do we go from form of religion without the heart to revival? And that's the rest of the book. So let's look at it. But first, I just want to begin with just kind of a testimony. We drift away from the Lord so easily. My wife and I, uh, we just bought a house about six months ago. And uh, we didn't have a great budget to buy the house. Uh, it, the house we ended up purchasing, it needed a new kitchen, two new bathrooms, a uh, new roof, a new boiler. Uh, it pretty, pretty much needed a new everything. Okay? And I'm not very handy. And so I had to pretty much learn how to do everything really fast. <laughs> I got to see just an amazing outpouring of love and service from the people in the assembly. I, I can't even describe to you how God mobilized people to come to my house and kind of bail me out from this situation. We were eating dinner one time and some folks just showed up and be like, they were like, I heard you needed help. And I'm like, I didn't invite you. <laughs> you know, it's like they just showed up. But in the midst of this busyness, in the midst of trying to repair this home, I got a little distant. Have you ever experienced that? Get a little distracted. Get a little preoccupied. I've got to fix this pipe. I don't, you know, I don't really have time to wait before the Lord. Um, I'm not going to read you know, a chapter or something. I'm just going to you know, do my quick hit read and just kind of, you know, I, I really have other things to do. My family needs uh, you know, me to get this house in shape. And so I just, I began seeing my heart drift more and more and more. And you know, you know, sometimes when you go to pray and you're just like, wow, it's been a little while since this was really real for me. Have you experienced that? It's been a little while since this was really uh, something maybe that I enjoyed. But instead now it's just become something that I do out of obligation. A form without the heart. Going through the same motions without the zeal. Um, and then ministry began to change for me. Because you think you're still in the same place. You think you're still uh, in that place of, of, of just true heart reality. And you go to speak, you go to share the word, you go to share the gospel with someone, you go to encourage someone, and just, you're just like, whoa, it's, it's, it's not the same. There's something that's missing. There's something that's been lost. We see that with Samson, right? Had his hair cut, favor of the Lord was gone, and then he said, I'm going to break out from these ropes just like before. Not really. Not really. 
and the drift is so subtle, so, uh, so seemingly, uh, it's almost like you're not even aware that it's happening until you find yourself cold and far away and longing for that reality that you once had. And I think the prophet here is going to speak to us about a way back. About a way back to true heart reality with our Lord Jesus Christ. So please turn to uh, chapter 1 of Malachi. The prophet begins with such a beautiful statement. Chapter 1 and verse 1. The burden of the word of the Lord to Israel by Malachi. I have loved you, says the Lord. What a beautiful place to begin. Can you hear that from the Lord today? I have loved you. And how is he going to, to speak to them about this love? Look at this. It says, uh, Was not Esau Jacob's brother, says the Lord? Yet Jacob I have loved, but Esau I have hated, and laid waste his mountains and his heritage for the jackals of the wilderness. Even though Edom has said, uh, We have been impoverished, but we will return and build the desolate places. Thus says the Lord of hosts, They may build, but I will throw down. They shall be called a territory of wickedness and a people against whom uh, the Lord will have indignation forever. Your eyes shall see and you shall say, The Lord is magnified beyond the border of Israel. This is really interesting because um, I would have probably written this a little differently. (laughs) You know, I would probably say, Well, I have loved you and these are the reasons why I love you. No, instead here the Lord gives this negative example. You have two people. You have Jacob and Esau. And the Lord here is emphasizing the future of Esau or Edom. He says, I'm going to turn that land into a parking lot. I'm going to completely level the thing. They're going to say, I'm going to rebuild. He's like, no, I will completely destroy it. Their future is damnation and judgment. So then that begs the question, what is the future of God's people? What is Jacob's future then? What is this future that's going to demonstrate the the, the true uh, nature of God's love to them? Do you know what that answer is? Well, it's in chapter 3. Look over to chapter 3 and verse 1. says, Behold, I send my messenger, John the Baptist, and he will prepare the way before me. And the Lord, whom you seek, will suddenly come to his temple, even the messenger of the covenant in whom you delight. Behold, he is coming, says the Lord of hosts. God's demonstration of love for the people of Judah was that he would send them the Lord Jesus Christ. That is the demonstration of his love towards them. You know, they had been longing for a Messiah. They were under, still under at this point, even in their own land, under Persian rule. They were under a governor who was uh, controlled by Persia in that. Longing for the day when they would have a king. And so the Lord comes to them and says, I 
have loved you. How have you loved you? I have promised to send you a Messiah. And he is coming. And he will come. And he will be the messenger of a new covenant. So how then does this translate to the church? How then does this translate to us? And I think it's, it's somewhat obvious. 1 John 3.16 By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. Now, what have you experienced in your life? We know here Judah had experienced, uh, you know, oppression and great suffering. And the Lord comes with his love and they're just like, really? Really, this is love? What then have you experienced? What suffering have you known? Where the Lord would come to you and say, I have proved my love to you once and for all by the sending of my son. But perhaps you would say, um, Lord, there's this illness that I experienced. There's this uh, happenstance in my family. Lord, the grueling nature of ministry and year after year of grinding it out and not experiencing uh, hardly any fruit. Say, Lord, really, is this how you have loved me? And the Lord would simply say, it is enough. What I have proven to you in the sending of my son is enough. It is enough. But not only does he do, do that and through the sending of his son, but we get uh, such amazing blessings through, uh, through him. 2 Corinthians 3.18, it says, But we all with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. We get to be made in His image. We get to be made like Him, day by day by day. My future is glory. Being transformed into His image. I love Proverbs 4.18. It says, but the path of the just is like the shining sun that shines ever brighter into the perfect day. Do you ever know old saints? I'm not, I don't want to say that old as in years, but those who are mature in the Lord and you see them and they just have a radiance about them. Do you know anyone like that? I know a woman uh, in our assembly. Her name is Ruth Campbell. And she prays several hours a day. I know she has this neighborhood outreach. She is just so beautiful. She's 70, 70-ish. I don't know. She's older than that. <laughs> but she is so beautiful. You just see the work of God year after year after year as the Lord has just worked in her and worked in her. And she has this beauty. Sometimes I just kind of want to go by and just kind of, you know... But she is just amazing. And that is the work of God in her. And that's our future. That's God's love demonstrated to us. And the last bit in this is, if you turn back over to 1 John. First John in chapter 3. And verse 1. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed on us, that we should be called the children of God. 
Okay? He has adopted us. He has made us uh, His children. He has made us uh, um, accepted in the Beloved. But not only that, it says, Beloved, now we are children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when He is revealed, we shall be like Him. For we shall see Him as He is, and everyone who has this hope in Him purifies himself just as He is pure. So we have this great hope that our Lord Jesus is coming for us again in glory. And when we see Him, we shall be like Him. That is our hope. That is our expectation. That is our future. Glory with Him. So, in spite of our circumstances, in spite of our our difficulties, in spite of... um, those trials that we experience day by day by day. The Lord comes and speaks to us and says, I have loved you. And we respond, yes, Lord, you have loved us. You have loved us well. You have loved us well through your Son. You have loved us well through the work you are doing day by day in us that you put up with one so stubborn as I. You love us through our great adoption. You love us through your soon return. So a proper understanding of God's love for us in Christ unites us in fellowship. So continuing on in Malachi, if you could turn back to there. Malachi, we're still in chapter 1 and verse 11. It says, For from the rising of the sun, even to its going down, my name shall be great among the Gentiles. In every place incense shall be offered to my name and a pure offering, for my name shall be great among the nations, says the Lord of hosts. Our Lord desired that all peoples on the earth would exalt Him and praise Him and give Him worship. And so, continuing on, but that wasn't happening in Judah. In verse 12, But you profane it, in that you say, The table of the Lord is defiled, and its fruit, its food is contemptible. You also say, Oh, what a weariness, and you sneer at it, says the Lord of hosts. And you bring the stolen, the lame, the sick, and thus you bring an offering. Should I accept this from your hands, says the Lord? But cursed be the deceiver who has in his flock a male and takes a vow, but sacrifices to the Lord what is blemished. Now this is the sentence. For I am a great king, says the Lord of hosts, and my name is to be feared among the nations. This is so interesting that the Lord comes and says, All right, you're bringing offerings to me. You're bringing the lame, the sick. Uh, You're bringing all of these things that uh, aren't valuable to you. And you're bringing them to me. You're saying that my table, my place of sacrifice is a weariness. It's boring. Uh, It's just rote. Why do we have to keep doing this? And the Lord counters that with, You need to see me as a great and glorious king that deserves worship. Not only from the small place of Judah, but from all the world, I deserve worship and honor. 
You need to see me like that. And so the Lord wants to demonstrate that to them. And so how does that, how does that translate into the church? Well, we have a great king. We have our Lord Jesus Christ. And He is the one who fully demonstrated, who fully revealed to us the glory of the kingship of God. We know He's the one that was promised from David. Right? It says that His kingdom is an everlasting kingdom and His dominion endures throughout all generations. 1 Timothy 6.15 He is the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and the Lord of lords. And we know that He is the one... For Him all things were made. Through Him all things were made. By Him all things were made. That from the tiniest ant to the most glorious angel to the planets that are massive in scope and size, all of these things were made to glorify Him and do His will. And so we see our Lord Jesus as the great King of kings. And even when He was on the cross... The wrath of God descending upon him. There stood that billboard right on top. For all the nations to read. This one is the king of the Jews. So we experience fellowship. When we see our great king. And give him the worship and honor that he's due. I love Hebrews 13.10. It says, We have an altar from which those that serve the tabernacle have no right to eat. In verse 15 it says, By Christ let us continually offer the sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to His name, lifting Him up in glory and honor. I love to go to the Lord's Supper early. I don't get to do it too often. Uh, I think it's somewhat mean to my wife. <laughs> we have three kids, and if I go to the Lord's Supper early, um, that means she's getting them all ready. And so I don't do it as often as I'd like. I'd love to do it every Sunday. But something amazing happens when you arrive at the Lord's Supper early. Just go in. I love to just go in and sit down and wait and be still and quiet. Something amazing happens when, occasionally when I do that. I sense the presence of the King. And there's just this awe that rises in my heart. The King is here. It's almost like you don't want to do anything to get in trouble. (laughs) You know, it's like the King is here and there's this awe and there's this stillness that happens in your heart. It's quietness. But then something else happens. People start to show up. (laughs) And I, I sometimes think in my heart, the king is here. He has set this table for us. And we arrive. We're shuffling in with kids and Bibles and bags and drinks and stuff and so distracted with the car ride, stuff from the week, um, the paint color, stain on the carpet, um, our own feeling of unworthiness. And the King is there. The glorious King is there. 
and he's waiting for us to bring him worship. Brother mentioned Len Ravenhill. He talks about two kinds of silence. There's the good silence where people are just in awe of the Lord and just quietly just praising him, quietly giving thanksgiving, just in anticipation of the great uh, worship that we're about to experience with the Lord. And there's the bad silence. We all hate the bad silence. That silence where people are thinking, uh, when is the brother going to get up? Oh, man, uh, I didn't prepare. So uh, Philippians 2 again. Let's do it again. Philippians 2, <laughs> you know. I can't believe that brother is going to give that same song again. But we're in the presence of the king. And seeing him, seeing the glorious king, our Lord Jesus, should create in us such a unity, such a fellowship, such a desire to worship him, such a desire, such an awe in our hearts. But if we're honest, it's not always there. But we get back there through our meditation and exaltation of that glorious one, the Lord Jesus. Okay, so love. And so from a heart of love, knowing the great love that he has for us, moves on to the worship and the glory and the honor that we give him. And then that moves on to the service that we give him. If you look at Malachi 2, Malachi 2 speaks about uh, the priests that were coming and the sacrifices that they were giving and how they were uh, insufficient for the Lord. And in verse 5, it says, My covenant with, was with him, with Levi, one of life and peace. And I gave them to him that he might fear me. And so he feared me and was reverent before my name. The law of truth was in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. And he walked with me in peace and equity, and turned many away from iniquity. So this is what the Lord desired from his priests. And so the Lord says he made a covenant with them. So what is this covenant of Levi? No one really knows. There's not a place where you can look back in the Old Testament and says, all right, the Lord... This is the covenant of Levi. I was just meditating on this and thinking about this and uh, praying about this. You know, as Brother Scott uh, you know, said this morning, kind of look out the window and take your glasses off. But I, I don't do that because I can't see if I do that. <laughs> but, um, you know, just thinking about what is the covenant that God has made with his priests. And I think it's this in Numbers 3 and 12. I'll read it to you. It says, the Lord speaking, it says, Now behold, I myself have taken the Levites from among the children of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the children of Israel. Therefore, the Levites shall be mine. The Lord desired that he would have priests that would be his. They would do his will. They would come close to him. They would have fellowship or nearness with him. But that wasn't the only thing. Numbers 18.20, it says, Then the Lord said to Aaron, You shall have no inheritance in the land, nor shall you have a portion among them. 
I am your portion and your inheritance among the children of Israel. There's this beautiful relationship that the Lord desired to have with his priests, saying, you are mine and I am yours. We see this picture of a Lord who commands all as Lord, saying, you are mine and I will not share you with another. Because he is a jealous God. Okay, so uh, how does this then translate uh, to uh, our the age of grace, to the church? We see in Hebrews 8.10, it says, For this is the covenant, uh, quoting Jeremiah, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the, declares the Lord. I will put my laws into their minds and write them on the hearts. I will be their God and they shall be my people. As we see here that these priests had failed, that the Lord had an ideal of what he wanted, but they failed in that. The Lord said, then I would establish a new covenant and I would put the law in their mouth and in a true way that wasn't true of, the, of these priests, they would be mine. They would do my will. They would draw near to me and I would reveal myself to them. But what did the Lord want from his priests? These things do not change in verse 6. The law of truth was found in his mouth, and injustice was not found on his lips. I've heard from, from several brothers, I think Brother Henry was, was saying this, uh, throughout the church, it seems like there's such a pull in these last days to deviate from the truth. Such a pull, right? Uh, you know, I think it starts with such... Such uh, subtle things. You know, really, uh, you know, people would come and say, you know, uh, women should have a place of leadership as well. Don't you think that's true? Maybe they should be, uh, you know, some type of representation in the elders' meetings. Shifting a little bit more, a little bit more, and then suddenly you have women elders. We see this with the pull of uh, areas of sexuality. In our culture, two people love each other. I mean, shouldn't they have an opportunity to express that together? Um, you know, if people that love each other of the same uh, sex, shouldn't that then be all right? The answer is no. It's not. It's not all right. And so many uh, the people we hear, uh, especially in the mainline churches, they would say, "No, yeah, this is cool. We 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 value this." And the law of truth has departed from their lips. But then it goes on. It says, he walked with me in peace and equity. This is really interesting. We ought to follow the Lord, right? But this says that he walked with me. It has this connotation of intimacy, fellowship, right? That we are side by side. I love that passage in John where it says, you know, um, I don't only just call you servants but I call you my friends because I've revealed the will of the Father to you. I love that so much that our Lord would then take us hand in hand say, I've revealed the will of the Father to you. Would you come with me? Would we go together? And we get to go on the most glorious adventure to be with our Lord and to see Him work because we are no longer ourselves, right? We have been bought with a price. 
We are His. And He is ours. So when we properly see the Lord as Lord together, together as one, we see the Lord as this one who has demands over all of our life, I think we experience a bit of that revival. So starting with the heart, going on to worship, then going on to service, next going on to the great anticipation and hope of our Lord's coming. If you turn over to Malachi chapter 4. Malachi chapter 4 and verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like an oven, and all the proud, yes, all who do wickedly will be stubble, and the day which is coming shall burn them up, says the Lord of hosts, that will leave them neither root nor branch. But to you who fear my name, the Son of Righteousness shall arise with healing in his wings. And you shall go out and grow fat like stall-fed calves. You shall trample the wicked under your feet, for they shall be ashes. I'm sorry, for you shall trample the wicked, for they shall be ashes under the soles of your feet on the day that I do this, says the Lord of hosts. Now, I don't think this is exclusively of the Lord's second coming. I think some of the things here in chapter 4 could argue either way. Um, But the thing here that's beautiful to me is verse 2. We see this one, the Son of Righteousness. I've heard from Hebrew scholars, I don't know Hebrew, but that the emphasis there is on righteousness. That is what the prophet wants to bring out. That the coming of this one, the coming of this glorious Lord Jesus in this day will be an inauguration, will be a bringing in of the fullness of His righteousness. And His righteousness will be demonstrated two ways. The first, He will destroy the wicked. And they will deserve that destruction. Those that had an opportunity through the glory as demonstrated in nature and through the, um, the, the mercy of God, through the proclamation of the gospel, those that resisted time and time again and would not seek God, would not submit to His will or His purposes, they will justifiably be cast into hell where they will experience eternal torment. And it will be right for the Lord to do that. It's, it's, it's very difficult, but it will be right for the Lord to do that. But simultaneously, uh, those who fear His name, those that have entrusted themselves to the Lord, and so have been transformed by Him to seek that right relationship with Him, they will know the Son of Righteousness, who as like a, a sun in the sky, Uh, whose beams come down and bring life and vegetation and all of these things. So our Lord will come with such a brightness and such a glory that all will see that light. And His saints will know healing. You know, we turn on the news. We see Ebola. (laughs) We see ISIS. We see another... 
uh, terrible uh, shooting in a school or public place or something like this. And we have some options when that happens, right? We can pray. I think we should pray and ask for mercy. We can try to work and, you know, give or try to, you know, work in, in whatever way we can to help in these, these situations. But when I see that, most often I say, come Lord Jesus. You know what I mean? I see, all right, there's this great <laughs> disease that's, uh, you know, bringing people all across the nation in this state of panic. Fear. I say, come Lord Jesus. Christians persecuted over all the world. And you break and you pray and you hope that they're well. And you say, come Lord Jesus. And we long for the day of His appearing. And I think we experience this great fellowship with one another as we all together, as His church, say, Come, Lord Jesus. We long for the day of your appearing. We long for the day where you bring your righteousness for full display for all to see. The prophet doesn't end it there, though. Look at verse 4. It says, Remember the law of Moses, my servant, which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel, and the statutes and the judgments. Behold, I will send you Elijah the prophet before the coming of the great and dreadful day of the Lord. And he will turn the hearts of the fathers to the children, and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the earth with a curse. Now this is interesting. The law of Moses and Elijah the prophet. We know from uh, Matthew 17 that as the Lord uh, demonstrated for a moment in the transfiguration His glory, that Moses and Elijah were there as witnesses to the, the truth of all that was foretold, that the Lord would come and He would be the glorious King. Then you turn over to 2 Peter. Let's look at 2 Peter. Second Peter in verse 16. It says, We do not follow cunningly devised fables. We made known to you the power and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. But we were eyewitnesses of His majesty. For He received uh, from God the Father uh, their, uh, the honor and glory when such a voice came to Him from the excellent glory, saying, This is My beloved Son in whom I am well pleased. And we heard this voice, which came from the heaven, when we were with him on the holy mountain. And so we have the prophetic word confirmed, which you do well to heed, as a light that shines in a dark place, until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this first, that no prophecy of Scripture is of any private interpretation, for prophecy never came by the will of man, but holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Holy Spirit. So Peter is saying that um, Christ's demonstration of His glory on the mountain, which they saw, which they heard uh, the Father giving glory to the Lord Jesus Christ, was a sure confirmation that our Lord Jesus Christ was coming again. 
It would validate the prophecies uh, that were not spoken um, simply by men, but holy men that were moved by the Holy Spirit. Now, if you look over in Second Peter in chapter 3 and verse 10. Says, but the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night, in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise, and the elements will melt with a fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burned up. Therefore, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which, um, because, uh, sorry. Because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt with fervent heat. Nevertheless, we, according to his promise, look for the new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. Righteousness dwells. I love this. That the Lord had intended that the reminder, uh, the continual, uh, just a thought, of His soon return would cause us to behave in such a way of holiness. It says, what holy conduct and godliness it produces in you. And we see that in, in the last bit of Malachi, we have the fathers turning to the children and the children to the fathers. Now, what is that about? You know, I read that, I've read that, and I'm just kind of like, all right, who are the children and who are the fathers? I'm not quite sure. And commentators go back and forth and back and forth and all the rest of this. And I think very simply it's this. The Lord Jesus Christ brings reconciliation and righteousness in relationships. Where those... um, those relationships, like it says in, in James, you know, where do strifes and wars and quarrels come among you? They come through your flesh, the lusts of your flesh that reign in you, that, that are working in you, I should say. And so, the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ produces godliness, uh, should produce uh, just a godliness and a righteousness in us. God's work of reconciliation brings us together in one, in that righteousness, in that holiness. So, four things. The love of Christ as demonstrated by His coming for us. We see, we saw the King who deserves our worship, our praise, our thanksgiving. We saw the Lord who deserves all of who we are in our service towards Him. And we see the Righteous One, the Son of God, who comes, which produces in us a holiness and godly conduct. And so, if we see our Lord in this, all of this together as one, ought to produce in us such a fellowship, such a unity, and produces in us life. Because life comes through our Lord Jesus Christ. Is that not so? So back to Malachi chapter 3. I'm going to end with this. Malachi chapter 3. Our brother Rob Brennan, he said that if we are going to know revival... 
If revival is going to happen, it's going to happen with the people in this room. Is that so? If revival is going to happen, it's going to happen in the people in this room. So now what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Perhaps you're those that say um, there's some bitterness in your heart. Some resentment against the Lord for something that, that happened in your life. And you're those that would say, Lord, I don't feel very loved. Would you see again the glorious cross? Would you see again that glorious one? Perhaps you're one that, you know, you've been going to the Lord's Supper over and over and over again. And the zeal of it is totally lost to you. And you just go to go to go to go. The awe is gone. Would you see the king? Perhaps you're one that uh, you know, is holding back in your service towards the Lord. Holding back in the way that you give yourself to Him. Would you see the Lord? Perhaps you're one in which you just feel imprisoned by the lust of your flesh. Causing all strife and trouble and anguish in you. Would you see the Son of Righteousness that's coming? And the response for us is Malachi 3 and verse 16. Those, then those who fear the Lord spoke to one another. If you're one of those people that I mentioned, would you not just suffer in that place where you are? Would you not just continue in that place where you are. That place of form without the zeal. That place of the appearance without the heart reality. But would you speak to one another? Would you find a brother? Would you find a sister and say, look, I'm not really right in my heart right now. I need revival. I'm kind of broken in, in this area of my life. Would you just kind of pray with me? Would you open the word with me? Do you think maybe we can correspond about this issue? Because I need someone to hold me accountable. I can't continue on the way I am right now. I need something to change. Or are you going to stay where you are? Stay in that place where it's been far too long. It's been far too long since you really saw the Lord. Far too long since you really worshipped Him. Far too long since you really gave, himself in gave yourself in service. You'd say, I don't really long for His appearing. I have both hands firmly placed on the things of this world. That, I think, is the crucial um, importance of fellowship to revival. We can't do this on our own. I don't believe that. 
the Lord gave us each other. I can't, I can't follow the Lord on my own. I need you. I need you. And if we're not there for one another, we have no hope in that. But the Lord has given us each other just for that purpose. Iron sharpens iron. We ought to rebuke, encourage, strengthen, establish one another. Just going to close. Abba, we need you. We long for you. We're so thankful for your son. We're so thankful for all that he has done for us. We're so thankful that though we have failed you a thousand upon a thousand upon a thousand times, you bid us to come. You bid us to see ourselves as um, we truly are. That the masks would go and that the true reality would be there. That we are all broken. That we are all hurting. That we have all failed in many ways. And we need one another. And Lord, we refuse to live in that state any longer of bitterness. Of that sense of just boredom. Of that this, our, our worship is just a weariness. Uh, uh, Sunday after Sunday after Sunday of weariness. We refuse to live like that, Lord. We know that you deserve so much better. You are deserving of so much greater. So, Lord, work in our midst. Lord Jesus, walk in our midst. Holy Spirit, convict of sin. Lord Jesus, bring life through Yourself. For Lord, You are life. And we will find it in no other place. Lord God, we thank You for this conference. We thank You for this precious time where we get to hear Your Word in safety, in liberty. We get to rejoice in it. But Lord, I pray that we would not only rejoice in it, but Lord, that we would be changed and that your life would come through us and that these ones at this conference would go back home as messengers of life and truth. Start a revival. Begin with us. But don't stop there, please. Have mercy. In Jesus' name.